The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help so you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we are coming to you tonight with a very special episode of On the Verge because for the first time in over two years, we have opening day rosters for minor league baseball. The Orioles have announced their four full season affiliate rosters for the AAA Norfolk Tides, AA Bowie Bay Sox, High A Aberdeen Ironbirds, and the Low A Delmarva Sorebirds. So Nick, Bob, and I are on the air tonight to break down those rosters, discuss some of the players and the notable assignments, as well as some of the surprises, and some of the players who will not be on opening day rosters. Uh, So we'll have all of that in tonight's show. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So tonight's episode will be ex- focused exclusively on the release of the 2021 minor league rosters, which the Orioles unveiled on Friday for all, all four of their full season affiliates. Uh, we've been waiting for this day for a while, and now it's here. So before we get into our really detailed analysis, I'll start with Bob here. Uh, what's your reaction to the fact that we have the rosters in hand now? 
just relief and that it's actually coming. You know, you heard rumors, maybe it's going to be delayed even more, but it, it's finally here. It's finally real. We knew it was coming, but it's not real to those rosters are released. And we're days away now. And it's, it's exciting. Yes. We have my league baseball back. This is, I, when those rosters came out, uh, praise Steve Molesky for tweeting out that article and putting those together. Um, I'm going to say there was zero work done the, the last like three hours of the afternoon at the office. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, pouring over these rosters. This is fun. We have real rosters to talk about. And in four days or so, I mean, we've got real baseball to talk about. So let's let's dive into this. Yep. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So we'll start off in Norfolk where, as we had expected for most of the offseason, this team is stacked with pitchers. Uh, Keegan Aiken will be starting out the year in Norfolk, as will Zach Lothar, who recently made his debut uh, with the Orioles. Alexander Wells, another pitcher who, like Lothar, was added to the 40-man roster over the offseason, will be there. Um, and a few other names to note, the knuckleballer uh, Mickey Janis, the uh, backflip reliever Dustin Knight, um, Isaac Madsen, who was one of the pitchers acquired in the Dylan Bundy trade between the 2019 and 2020 seasons. And then Spencer Watkins, who you may have heard on this show back in February, uh, has broken camp with Norfolk's roster. So uh, it, we'll get into the position players there in a minute because that's also a good group. But this, uh, as expected, um, the pitchers here are pretty good. Yeah, I don't... I was expecting to start any rotation. I mean, we don't have like a set rotation and we know that down in the minor leagues and, and I've seen some others comment that within the system comment that the Orioles are going to do a lot of that piggybacking. You're going to see guys go like three, four innings and then they might bring another starter behind them. So there's no set rotation, but I mean, we can look at this roster, the AAA roster at least and put together a five man rotation, uh, which I figure probably behind those three, you mentioned Aiken, Lothar and Wells, you probably got Tom Eshelman and maybe Josh Rogers, um, I was expecting a little bit more of a stacked starting rotation, to be honest, but you got three top 30 prospects there. Um, I mean, just a handcuff to Josh Rogers, I think, just because, I mean, he has two Tommy John surgeries. He struck out seven guys the other day in that outside game. So uh, it's great to see just him back on the mound. But yeah, the bullpen, I think, is full of, I don't want to call them quad A guys. There, there are a lot of those. Uh, but um, guys like Connor Green, I think, could be viable bullpen pieces at the major league level. Um, he's shown flashes like that. Uh, can Cody Carroll turn things around or is, or is that dream dead? <laughs> Who knows? Um, now Eric Handhold shows some flash in that alt-site game. A lot of good numbers there. Um, I, I think just knowing the Norfolk roster from years past, uh, the floor is risen here. So, I mean, if the Orioles have to dig and get to that shuttle and pull guys off that Norfolk shuttle, then at least they're guys with major league experience a little bit more. Yeah. And a note that I think we will see as we talk about all these rosters is that, Obviously, Elias is kind of slow playing this. It seems like they are assigning people as if it's 2020, going like right after 2019, at least to start. Hopefully that, you know, that promotion process gets started a little bit quicker since they did get some development in the past year or so. But yeah, AAA, I think we thought maybe Bruce Zimmerman would be there, but obviously he's doing okay at the major league level. And Kevin Smith, I thought would start at AAA, but he's in AA. We'll get to that. But yeah, like you said, it's awesome. Josh Rogers made it back. Friend of the show, Spencer Watkins, could get some starts. You got some veterans like Fernando Abad, but like you said, I'm interested in Connor Green, Eric Hanhold, and Isaac Matson in that bullpen. I swear, every time I saw a box score come up for those alternate site games, Eric Hanhold went like one or two innings, striking out 80% of batters. Similar with Connor Green. It's just, I don't know if it's good to get excited about those guys, but they could at least be useful arms somewhere down the line. Cody Carroll, 
I've learned my lesson, never <laughs> getting hyped up about him again. But uh, yeah, there's interesting names all up and down. Just Jay Fla. We just got uh, a taste of his flavor at the that was terrible at the major <laughs> at the major league level with his debut. But yeah, it's for a Triple A. You know, I don't know where I'm going. It's interesting. That's what I'll say. <laughs> So I should know that um, before we get too far into this, we do have uh, Steve Molesky's piece at Masson with all the rosters listed over on our Twitter feed at BSL on the Verge. Um, so if you have any questions you want us to uh, ask or answer while we're on the air live tonight, go ahead and uh, send that our way. Um, but we, uh, yeah, best Norfolk roster in years. This is one uh, listener comment we got here. And I think that the fact that this is a really good roster is also reflected in position players. Um, in particular, for me, you're going to have Eusenio Diaz and Ryan McKenna there. Diaz is a prospect that we're waiting for to get to Baltimore at some point this year. McKenna is a guy that has gotten some major league time already because of some injuries to the Orioles outfield. Jemai Jones, who came over the Alex Cobb trade in the offseason, and from the stats we saw at the alternate site, was really hitting the ball well will be part of Norfolk's infield, along with some other notable names, including Richie Martin, Mason McCoy, Ryland Bannon, Tyler Nevin, and Ryan Ripken. Um, and then behind the plate, a guy that I know that all three of us are intrigued by, Brett Cumberland will be back there as one of three catchers on the roster, joining Taylor Davis and Austin Wins. Yeah, unfortunately, Nick Schufa, one of my you know pet uh, players that I've been paying a lot of attention to, especially watching uh, Severino and Cisco behind the plate this year. Unfortunately, he has a broken hand, so he will be out of action for a little while. Yeah, I think looking at this roster, um, I mean, the defense is going to be really good with Jemai Jones and uh, Mason McCoy and these guys, Richie Martin, even uh, around Bayland around the infield. That's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, like we had, this definitely is the best Norfolk roster we've had in a long time. And uh, looking at, la- I pulled up last year's roster again, and I mean, it's guys like Ty Block, uh, uh, Jake Reinheimer, I mean, Zach Vinci, <laughs> Zach Vinci days, those are fun. Um, like Jace Peterson's, Jeffrey Ramirez is these guys. Look, this is, I mean, we're not saying this Norfolk Tides roster is going like undefeated. Durham is a stacked triple A roster. If you, if you check out that roster, um, yeah. you know, this isn't that type of roster, but comparatively speaking, it's a much deeper roster. Um, I think the microscope is going to be on using the Diaz for sure. A lot of people are anxious to see him show out a little bit this year. Um, yeah, I think Ryan McKenna is going to be a lot of fun to watch. If you're watching Norfolk Tides games this year on MILB TV, or if you head down to Norfolk, that outfield plays like double the size of a normal outfield, I feel like. And Ryan McKenna's got the tools to play out there. So he's going to make a lot of flashy plays uh, as well. And I do want to note one thing. Uh, we mentioned his name before we came on the air, but there's a guy, maybe a new Cesar Valdez. Uh, Manny Barreda is a pitcher on the Tides roster. He's been in Mexico for the last three, four years. So maybe maybe Michael Ice found another one. Who knows? Yeah, they clearly have a, a scout down there at all times, <laughs> apparently. But the thing I like about the position players is – I think on a moment's notice, if there's an injury or a trade or anything like that, I think one through nine, this this lineup could be any of them could be called up to the major leagues, and you're not going to miss too much of a beat. Like it's they're going to at least have hold their own and have a place. We already saw it with Ryan McKenna. Obviously, we're waiting for Diaz to come up. Richie Martin's been there. Ryland Bannon, Jemai Jones, we're waiting for them. Tyler Nevin. I mean, all these guys are are solid. Even Chris Shaw has some major league time. So. That's what I like about it. That's what you want in a triple A team. 
what I really like about this roster is the flexibility factor because you have a couple of middle infielders or a few middle infielders um, in Bannon, Jones, McCoy, and Martin, and you can move them around a little bit. So I'm guessing that Bannon's going to have to get most of his at-bats at third base just because you're going to have the other three players there. But you have the flexibility because Jemai Jones has time in the outfield to put him out there if you want to get Mason McCoy into the lineup on the same night. Um, you know, you can move it around so that if you want to experiment with Richie Martin at second base before you bring him up for a test run, which is something we discussed in our last show, you can do that. So there is a lot of flexibility here. And then you have guys like Tyler Nevin who can play the outfield as well. So here's a good question from a listener we just got here. Norfolk Tide player was the most to prove. I'll let Nick uh, start with that one. There's a lot. Um, uh, I mean, uh, good question. It's a good question. Yeah. My gut instinct says Eusenio Diaz, the most approved. I think my gut says Eusenio Diaz just because, I mean, a lot of people still view him, and I think he still is the centerpiece of the main Machado trade, and that trade it, it was what it was at this point. Um, and he was such a highly rated prospect when the Orioles got him, and now we've seen him passed over. We've seen him continue to struggle down the minor leagues not really struggle he's been hot when he's healthy it's been the injuries we'll say that um i think a lot of people have not written him off but we talked about prospect fatigue a lot with him and i think that's settling in harder and harder with him so i'm gonna say diaz that's a good answer i could agree with that i'll shout out richie martin who we talked a lot about on the previous episode i think he's gonna want to make a mark and if you look in the bullpen i think guys like cody carroll evan phillips these guys are kind of on their last legs here to try to make their mark. So I, I would say those guys. Yeah, I, I think that Diaz probably is the one with the most approved just because of the level of scrutiny, if you will, around him because he is the centerpiece in the Machado trade. We didn't get to see much of him in 2019 because of injuries, although he was productive. So I think he has the most approved, but I also think that there's going to be some competition with that middle infield. And while I mentioned the flexibility, you still have to see, you know, what can you get from a guy like a Richie Martin or a Jemiah Jones, um, knowing, and as we'll discuss in a minute, that you have some pretty good middle infielders further down the system this year that will be at Bowie or at Aberdeen that could be knocking on the door at AAA later in the year. So I think if you're a middle infielder at the higher levels of the system this year, not only are you going to be competing to hopefully make the major league roster, um, at some point, but to fend off any competition, it's going to come from the lower minors. Absolutely. Yeah. I was the other name I would throw out there too is, is Keegan Aiken, since he's starting down in AAA now. I mean he he led the Orioles, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in wins above replacement last year, at least according to Fangraphs, I think. And and I know that's not saying a whole lot about you know Keegan Aiken's numbers there, uh, but. It, this is a guy who I thought we all expected to be in the back end of the Orioles rotation and he didn't make the opening day roster. And now he's got this injury. He's chopping, whatever chopping potatoes in the morning for breakfast. I don't know what he's doing, but I mean, it's, I think, and the fact that he really struggled in spring training, I think he has a lot to prove as well. He needs to get to that major league level so he can afford a personal chef to make him breakfast. <laughs> yeah. That too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think Aiken is another one that's fair to throw in there. Um, I expect we're going to see him before too long. But the thing that I really want to see from Aiken uh, starting off in Norfolk, he's got to cut back on the walks. And I know that he's never going to be a guy that has pinpoint command, but the walks were way too high in spring training. And I have to think that that played a factor in the Orioles not feeling comfortable starting him 
um, on the opening day roster, especially when that schedule was so front-loaded with Red Sox and Yankees games. And even in AAA in uh, 2019, excuse me, he, he struck out a lot of guys, but he, the walk rate was really higher up than his previous years in the organization. Yeah, so good roster in Norfolk. Uh, they, like all the other Orioles affiliates, will open next week. So if you can get to Harbor Park or you have an MILB TV subscription, uh, be sure to check them out. Or if you're an Orioles fan that happens to be in another one of the AAA Southeast uh, markets, uh, maybe you can see Norfolk on the road this year. So going down the buoy now where uh, some interesting names here in the pitching staff, I'll start there. Kyle Bradis, who was one of the pitchers acquired in the Dylan Bundy trade. Someone we talked about a lot, a couple of episodes ago when we previewed uh, the pitchers in the minor league system for this year, Gray Fenter, who was chosen by the rule five draft, uh, chosen in the rule five drafts by the Cubs, but was returned uh, to the Orioles during spring training will be there. DL Hall, um, who, depending on who you ask, is either the first or second best pitching prospect in the farm system, will be making his double-A debut. And then uh, Brennan Hanafy will be there as well. So those are some of the notable names. Um, and I'll start with Bob, uh, just the Bowie pitching staff. We all know we're excited to see D.L. Hall, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on him, but then some of the other pitchers that will be in the rotation in the bullpen there as well. Yeah, it's a very solid rotation. I, I'm even more excited to see D.L. Hall now after watching Shane McClanahan pitch for the Rays the other day or yesterday. That was something to see. Hopefully D.L. Hall can at least resemble that in some way. You got Bradish, Kevin Smith, who reasonably could be in AAA. He's starting in AA. Maybe it's something to do with, um, who was it, Alex Fast or Eric Longenhagen, who said that you know he was having trouble getting that, that slider over for strikes. I uh, got Nick's boy, Brandon Hanafy, getting his chance here. I like that. And Cody Sedlock, kind of surprised. He's back in double-A. Thought he might be in the triple-A bullpen. I'm hoping Ofelki Peralta, the fact that he they've pushed him all the way up to double-A, says they are converting him to relief, and he can just let it fly and hopefully, you know, move up to triple-A into the majors before too long. Yeah, I love this rotation. Um, like I said, D.L. Hall speaks for himself. Uh, we did just talk about Kyle Bradish in our pitching preview episode, and I think that's my excitement for Bradish is only fueled because, like, the next day, MLB Pipeline released their camp report that they're doing team by team, uh, and when they released the Orioles report, and it was very high on Kyle Bradish. So lots of good words from, from uh, I think it was Jonathan Mayo that put that together. Uh, Matt Blood had a lot of good quotes in there talking about he views Bradish as a guy who you can kind of slide up towards the Grace Rodriguez and D.L. Hall uh, type prospect status, which I think is awesome if we actually get that. Um, so that's definitely going to be exciting, of course, Hanafy. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Smith, I think I want to see what we got. I mean, we traded Miguel Castro to the Mets for him, and this is a guy who the Mets said could have been their fifth starter this year. So, um, you know, we'll see what he gets. A lot of these bullpen arms, I'm guessing because there's just so much depth, like that guys like Abad, Connor Green, there's so many of those guys in AAA roster. Maybe that's why a guy like Cody Sedlock is in Bowie. I mean, he had all those injuries. We know he struggled early on in his career, so maybe they're letting him just kind of sit back and relax in Bowie, uh, get his feet wet there again uh, before moving him up to Norfolk. Um, yeah, Ofelke Peralta, I mean, he was. it's been 2014 he joined the Orioles as a teenager, and he's never been above Frederick. He spent the last, what, three years, I think, in Frederick. So he's finally in double A, but I think that does speak to uh, what the Orioles think about him. If you're in the same level, a ball level for three straight years, you have a new regime come in and they keep you and then promote you. Maybe that says something about him. Um, 
I think he's the guy who can probably touch 100. I come real close to touching oh, yeah. 100, too. Uh, and then, yeah, just some of these other guys, like Tyler Irwin is a guy I mentioned before I really love. Gray Fenter, Reed Hayes are all relief options. With I think they have, like, a skill set or two. And I'm going to watch also Cameron Bishop is one, just because I think he was a decent draft prospect uh, when the Orioles took him. And he was good in the lower minors, and then he just, like, Blaine Knight and Brendan Hanifee struggled in high A. So uh, I'm going to watch him and see what he does. Although I, I don't know what exactly I'm expecting from Cameron Bishop, but he's there, too. So with, with D.L. Hall, what are some of the things that you want to see from him this year? Because one of the, you know with Hall, we have heard about how he has not thrown a lot of innings. This is going to be a tough year for him to stretch his innings out. So starting with Nick, what are the basically what would you look at as success for D.L. Hall? Hundred mile an hour strikeouts. I mean, Bob mentioned it. Shane McClanahan. I want to see that. <laughs> I mean, uh, that could be his uh, his future. Um, yeah, just just the walks. I mean, it's we we talked about his numbers. How the guy, the kid has a whip of like almost nothing, despite walking what four or five, almost five guys per per game throughout his minor league career. So it's it's just the walks. I, I've said before, I love his personality. I like his demeanor on the mound. He's got all that, but can he stop walking guys? That's number one. Yeah, I think he's going to get about five innings per week for the next two months or so. So if he can get a hundred innings under his belt, keep those walks down and just show off the stuff that he's clearly been working on in off season. I think the sky's the limit. I think he'll be in triple a by mid season, hopefully. And then maybe he can get a taste out of the bullpen. It's a major league level. Although I think we know by now they're probably going to wait till May of 2022. Yeah. Um, have mentioned this before, but it's worth noting again, he is rule five eligible over the off season. So uh, even if he does not debut in Baltimore later this year, we could see him added to the 40 man over the off season and set up uh, potentially an early 2022 debut, but we got to get through 2021 first. Um, and looking into this list of position players in Bowie, they have the prospects that everybody wants to see, which is Adley Rutzman. Um, he will be back there behind the plate. Uh, but then the other notable name that stands out here is Taryn Vavra, who was acquired in the Michael Givens trade last year. Um, so before we get to that, though, the position players, we do have another question here, which is who leads Bowie in strikeouts? Mm, that's fun to think about. Uh, I mean, it's got to be D.L. Hall's the leader in the clubhouse, correct? <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, five innings a week, uh, I'd say... Peralta, if he gets enough innings out of the bullpen, he could be a, a dark horse. I, I want to say DL Hall. I'm gonna go easy route. I can't. I can't deviate uh, from that. I, I'm gonna go DL Hall with Kyle Bradis as the dark horse. I, I think it could be neck and neck between those two, and who knows if one spends more time in Double A than the other, they might get it by default. But I, I, I'll go with DL Hall as well. Yeah, Vivek coming in with the. The hot questions in this episode. Appreciate yeah, love it. it. Love it. <laughs> love it. Thank you. So this Bowie so, roster, Adley Rutzman being the headliner. Um, I know that there is capacity limits at Double uh, A this year, but what do you think is the atmosphere going to be like for fans watching him? Uh, I've never. So I'm going to admit I have not made it out to Bowie yet. Uh, watch a lot of it on MILB TV for sure, but haven't had the chance to make it out to Bowie. Frederick was always the one that's closer to me. I live out here in Virginia, so it was always 
hop over to Frederick, which, you know, we can't do it anymore. But like, if there's like some trees out there, like some woods in the outfield, you're going to have people climbing up those trees to watch. They can't get a ticket to watch Adley Rutschman this year. Um, I think the hottest ticket in all of Birdland this year is going to be D.L. Hall, Adley Rutschman combo. That's try to try to plan that now and get your tickets well in advance because that's going to be an impossible ticket to get. And inevitably, when Grayson Rodriguez gets promoted, maybe if Adley's still there, who knows? That's also a pretty hot ticket. Yeah, it's just pure excitement to have Adley at Double A, even though he hasn't had that much time in the minor leagues, doesn't have that many at bats. Like we've talked about, he's in Double A now, and Double A is basically a step away from the major leagues. I know Elias likes to get guys Triple A time, but it's whenever they deem him ready, he's there. He's right there, knocking on the door. So, just. It's going to be awesome to watch. I can't wait to. That's going to be my like MILB TV first appointment viewing is Billy's opening day. What I like about this assignment is that he's going to get the opportunity to work with the top prospects like Hall, but then some guys that have more time under their belt like Cody Sedlock. So he's going to get a lot of different looks behind the plate. And I also think that offensively, this might be the right move for him. Whereas a person as a player who was a great hitter in college, A ball is not going to challenge him. Triple A after not having played in a year might be a little bit too much of a leap. Whereas I think Double A kind of strikes a middle ground where, you know, I'm sure there's nights where he's going to be challenged, but I don't expect him to be overwhelmed at the plate. And I think that one of the challenges with developing catchers and hopefully the Orioles somehow strike a balance is getting both offense and defense. Uh, to the point where that player is major league ready. But with everything you hear about Rutschman as a prospect, it shouldn't be too hard to get him major league ready sometime, if not by the end of this year, then early next year. Yeah, yeah. just get him comfortable in the plate, get him settled in, and then you can work from there, move him up whenever, you know, whenever he starts crushing those guys left and right. So I do want to talk about Taron Vavra a little bit. Uh, he was acquired in the Michael Givens trade last year along with Tyler Nevin. Uh, the last time we saw Vavro on the field was in 2019 when he toured through the South Atlantic League with Asheville and won that league's MVP award. Um, not going to get to go to high A in between low A and double A, but everything we heard about him at the alternate site, both with the Rockies and the Orioles last year, pretty much indicates that he's ready to take on this challenge at double A. Um, as we talked about earlier, the middle infield depth at Norfolk is a little bit stacked, so it might be hard for him to get up too quickly. But I'll start with Bob. What are your expectations for Vavra at AA, and do you think that he makes a push for Norfolk at some point? Yeah, I do. Actually, I probably a mistake in hindsight, but I had him starting at AAA in my uh, article I wrote at the end of last year. But I'm, I'm high on Vavra. He's one of my favorite types of prospects. Just, you know, he doesn't have those the the height the weight you know the measurements of a big prospect but he's just got that hit tool the hit tool doesn't lie I feel like a guy like Luis Urias you know for the twins or you know he just he's going to hit and he's got that natural ability to select his pitches and get draw walks just love that kind of kind of guy and he can play a solid second base I think that's a position the Orioles are in desperate need of right now so yeah I'm excited to see what he's got and I do expect him to end up in Norfolk by july or august yeah i'd probably agree just because I, you probably assume like jemai jones is going to get a call up soon and then richie martin obviously has that experience so i'm sure the orioles are going to get a look at him eventually so vavro have to step up there but i mean the, the middle infield even even though caden grenier is a guy that i don't 
think a lot of Orioles fans are very high on. If you've got like Grenier and Vavra as a double play combo uh, with Adley Rutschman behind the plate, like, you want to talk about strength up the middle is what Michael has been preaching down the minor leagues. Like that's strength up the middle right there. Um, I'm just excited to see him play because I think he's one of the more underrated guys in the system because we haven't seen him play yet. Uh, he did come from Colorado and, and that fantastic deal that we got uh, with for uh, Michael Givens. I keep wanting to say Miguel Castro every single time, but um yeah, I mean, Vavra seems like this super utility type player that, I mean, he may not hit 20 home runs a year, but he can play outfield, infield positions. He can kind of do it all and get on base. So, yeah, he's he's probably the biggest, other than Adley Rutschman, I mean, that's the biggest prospect name on this uh, Bowie roster as far as hitters go. And I have to think they want to get Adam Hall to double-A Bowie sooner than later. So I think, you know, uh, Vavra moving up to triple-A would make room for that. Now, let me ask you guys this, because this is one theme we're going to see a little bit as we move down this list, which is some middle infield prospects that are maybe starting a level behind where we would have expected them to. It, how much of that do you think plays into the fact that the Orioles just have so many players at AAA that, and an uncertain major league roster, too, especially at second base, that they're going to need some time to sort this out? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they're trying to figure some things out at the major league level right now, and that's going to trickle down. Same thing with that AAA roster. I mean, just just in case there's injuries, like you don't want to get rid of um, – I go straight to the pitchers for, for whatever reason, but like you don't want to just dump a guy like Connor Green, Eric Hanhold, uh, Spencer Watkins. You don't want to get rid of those guys because we've seen how you – know, name in the last time the Orioles pitcher went over five innings. <laughs> like, I mean, that's very rare. Uh, so you're going to need a lot of these pitchers. You're going to need a lot of these fielders. We've seen injuries pile up across the league. Injuries, it just seems my entire fantasy team is on the injured list. Like, I'm about to give up with that. But <laughs> in our league, like, injuries are just absurd this year. And so we're going to see those guys filter out. And these guys at the lower levels, like, it's, I think it's okay. You're going to see older guys at all levels of the minor leagues. So I wouldn't look into, I wouldn't look you know, hard at that this year. Yeah, I think it's it's not just happening to the Orioles. I think it's happening to a lot of teams. This missing that year of minor league, you know, play really bunches things up. So, yeah, and how long is Rio Ruiz going to be on the Orioles? So, you know, that's going to free up a roster spot, et cetera, et cetera. But I think depth is just what major league teams need this year, and I think might get a little bit more back to normal the next year. So uh, Vivek has another question here, which is thoughts on Grenier's promotion to Bowie. I guess it was either going to be Hall or Grenier, and Grenier's the college guy. He's got a little more solid defense, you know, potentially. So, you know, maybe they just thought Hall had a little bit more to prove at high A. I'm not sure, but uh, I like Hall better. But Grenier, I mean, he's been around. He he deserves a chance to prove what he's got. Why not? Yeah, I don't don't think Hall – Hall was with Delmarva in 2019, so he hasn't played in high A yet. I don't believe Grenier did. He played with Frederick and the glove makes you say like, wow, like he's going to give you one good play every single game that just makes you makes your eyes pop because he's that good with the glove. But the strikeouts are just such an issue. Um, but I mean, just the whole infield as a whole, though, I mean, even a guy like Malquin Canelo, I think is someone if you're watching a Bowie Bay Sox game, he's worth taking a moment to watch for sure. So and Willie Jan's probably be the third baseman, but um, I'm not too familiar with Alexis Torres. I'm going to be honest. But, I mean, I think Grenier, even though he did get promoted to Bowie, I think Grenier is still going to have to fight a little bit for some playing time in that infield. Yeah, I agree. I think the strikeouts are going to be something that he has to cut back on. Um, 
But I, I think a lot of it does come back to the glove, like Nick said. He, he just is so good out there that I think even if you're not convinced he's going to hit better than, say, 220 at double A, you're comfortable running out him out there for a little bit. Um, just to have that steady presence up the middle, especially with some of the younger pitchers that are going to have there this year that could be part of your future, like Smith, Braddis, Hall. You want a good middle infield behind them, and Grenier does give you that, even if you're not sold on the bat. What he'll do at shortstop is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And With the outfield, I don't know if you guys knew this, but did you guys know that Zach Jarrett's dad is Dale Jarrett, the NASCAR driver? I did, I did not. not. <laughs> I was being sarcastic because they, they say it every single time you watch a game with Zach Jarrett, they have to mention that his dad is Dale Jarrett. But if you did not know, yeah, his dad is NASCAR driver Dale Jarrett. So there you go. Uh, that reminds me when <laughs> Lucas Giolito was in Hagerstown, and it was always mentioned. I think it was his mother was an actress, and his grandfather was co-creator at Twin Peaks. Every oh. single time Giolito was on the mound, I'd be in the press box and I would hear the visit, visiting radio announcer say that without fail. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get it in there. Got to get something to talk about. I yes. Guess. <laughs> it's on the, the program. So got to say it. So we'll go down now to high a Aberdeen. Um, and as was expected when Aberdeen took the place of Frederick at high a, we will have some players who last played in Aberdeen um, in 2019 at the short season level playing there this year in 2021 at the full season level. So guys like Toby Welk will get promoted from Aberdeen to Aberdeen. Um, but we'll talk about Welk in a minute. Some of the notable pitchers that will be starting off in Aberdeen, Grayson Rodriguez is the headliner. Uh, he looks like he'll be part of that rotation, at least initially. Uh, Kyle Bronovich, who was one of the pitchers acquired in the Dylan Bundy trade, will be there. Um, in addition, you're going to have Drew Rahm, who... We last saw put together a pretty good 2019 at Delmarva. Garrett Stallings, who came over from the Angels in the offseason as part of the Jose Iglesias trade, will be there as well. And Easton Lucas, who you may remember was acquired for a player named Jonathan VR, who you may also remember because that trade was kind of controversial at the time, and I don't think most fans remember it now. Um, but we'll now get to see Easton Lucas on the mound at Aberdeen. Um, so... I know we'll, we'll just start off with Grayson Rodriguez. Um, I'll start, and I'm, Nick, I'll let you answer this question first. Are you surprised that he's not in Bowie? And even though he's not, do you expect him to be in high A for very long? I'm not too surprised, just because, like we mentioned with the other positions, AAA is pretty deep. Double uh, A, you've got a big group of guys who still need to prove themselves there. Um and, and guys who mastered high A already, and we know Michael Elias wants these prospects to master the level they're at. And I know Rodriguez seemed to really impress in, at Altsight last year, this year during spring training. He's the guy that, I mean, evaluators that MLB Pipeline, Fangraphs, these guys are saying that Grace Rodriguez is probably underrated. And, and I think a lot of people are really expecting Grace Rodriguez to really break out. Like, was it the Athletic today that had some piece about Grace Rodriguez saying, I mean, like, there, there is no ceiling with this kid. Um so I think he's in a lot more hype. I think it's real hype. But if you've got that, he's still very young. He's always been young for his level. And so I don't think you want to rush that at all this year. So I'm not surprised that he's at Aberdeen. Let him go there. But I don't think he's going to be there long for sure. He'll be up by the end of the year. He will be in Bowie for sure. Absolutely. I think, you know, look, even um, with the guy that got drafted first overall last year by the Tigers, 
Help me. Uh, Spencer Torkelson. Yes, he's in high A. He's starting in high A. So, I mean, Grayson Rodriguez, I think he'll be in double A by June. You know, I just think they're letting him go step by step as things sort themselves out. What I'm hoping for is that Aberdeen is going with the six man rotation and then he will start the home opener uh, May 11th so I can see him live. But uh, I think Aberdeen's uh, roster might be the most exciting of the bunch. There's a lot to look for here. Drew Rahm, Garrett Stallings going under the radar. I think he could be a breakout guy this year. And you got even guys like Dallas Litcher, Kevin McGee, Ryan Wilson. They all had really good success uh, at Delmarva and Aberdeen in 2019. So, And then a bunch of the 2019 draft picks are here in the bullpen. It, it's, it's loaded with pitching, and the position players aren't much worse. Yeah, like there's a lot. It's the 2019 draft picks. There's so many of those guys, like you mentioned. That's what I'm most excited to watch with this roster. Um, even guys that figure to work out of the bullpen, like Clayton McGinnis, Morgan McSweeney, Cage Stroud, Gillespie. Like I want to see all these guys. I want to see everyone from the 2019 draft class because we didn't get to see too much of them. Um, I think it could be a pretty sneaky good rotation too behind Rodriguez if Rom figures it out and starts living up to some of those higher expectations. I think a lot of people have. Blaine Knight, it's comforting to know that you know, guys like Eric Longenhagen, when we had him on, he wasn't quick to write off uh, Blaine Knight when we asked him about him, um, even though he had a just disastrous 2019 in Frederick. So like, I don't know how that frame works five, six innings every five days as a starter, but if you can move him to the bullpen, he can throw 97, 98 miles an hour. It could be interesting. Um, and I think with Aberdeen, it's going to be fun to watch the guys like Brnovich and Stallings we get to see some of those angels prospects that came over. So hopefully they can start proving that these deals weren't the Bundy deal. Wasn't a quantity over a quality type move. And, and with Blaine Knight, um, one thing we've kind of speculated about on this show is what the effect of moving high a from Frederick to Aberdeen will be for pitchers, because we have seen some pitchers go to Frederick and just hit a wall and struggle. Blaine Knight was one of them. So he might be an interesting case study for, you know, obviously one of them being how does this layoff affect pitchers, but that's going to be everybody. But in particular, that move from Frederick to Aberdeen, does he do better in Aberdeen than he did in Frederick? Because we have seen some pitchers there, Alexander Wells being one of them, um, have really the worst season of their professional careers in Frederick and then get back on track. Wells, I, I remember because I'd never seen Wells live. And when he was in Frederick, I was super stoked to go watch his starts in person for once. And he, I went, I think three times I watched him and he got shelled every single time. I think one of those was against um, a roster that had like, I think Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I know Luis Robert was in that lineup though. When they played, was that Winston-Salem used to be the White Sox high affiliate maybe? They of course they shelled him. They're gonna shell everybody. But he just looked worse and worse every hour and I saw of his. And I was really down on Alex Wells, but then he went to Bowie and shoved. So it is gonna be interesting to see how guys adjust. And I think it'd be it's gonna be really helpful because all of these guys, if not most of them, all pitched in Aberdeen, like you mentioned. So there's gonna be a big comfort level there because they know that field, they know that mound, and they know their surroundings already. Yeah, and I feel like Aberdeen's a pretty pitcher friendly ballpark. So I think what it is is they got rid of Frederick because Frederick was ruining our pitching prospects. That's it. <laughs> so going into the position players now to Aberdeen, and this is a pretty talented group. Um, in fact, some of them were names that we mentioned just last week in our preview of hitters. Uh, Maverick Hanley will be behind the plate. 
Andrew Dasback uh, will probably be the starting first baseman. A.J. Graffinito, who was one of the players to be named later in the Tom Malone deal last year, will be there, along with Adam Hall, which should be a pretty good middle infield. But they also have Joey Ortiz, who has been getting a little bit of hype. So much like in Norfolk, we'll see some flexibility with the middle infielders. And then a very good outfield with uh, St. Fontana, Kyle Stowers, Johnny Roger, and Zach Watson. So overall, this crop of position players in Aberdeen is very impressive. Yeah, there's no blaring weakness in any one spot in the lineup, I don't think. And yeah, I it, that this is what depth will do up the middle. This is what Elias's drafts and his strategies have been: is to get these shortstops, these middle infielders, these center fielders, and and then work it out from there. And we're seeing that it's a good problem to have. Yeah, I think. I don't with the, this position group, you know, there may not be that like real super sexy name that probably more casual fans going to look at and say, I've got to get to Aberdeen and go watch. But we've talked about why Maverick Canley is so intriguing. Uh, Toby Welk, you know, drew got a lot of fans in 2019 going from D3 to just dominating rookie ball. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does this year now that he's in high A. Uh, you mentioned Joey Ortiz. I mean, I pulled up that article again and that MLB pipeline piece and Matt Blood called him a true shortstop who added some quote unquote noise to his offensive game that completely changed his profile. So, and he, Matt blood views Joey Ortiz as an everyday big league shortstop. Like, those are big words from a man in power than this organization. I think that's huge. So he's definitely intriguing to watch. Adam Hall might be one of the more polarizing prospects in the system. Like, do, do you think he can move up the ladder and hit, but I still go back to, he was drafted out of high school in Canada and so I think he's got a little bit more learning. I don't know much about high school baseball in Canada, but I can't imagine it's to the level of, you know, a 17, 18-year-old playing down in the Dominican. Uh, I think those are two very different uh, environments. So it's going to take him a while, and he performed really well in Delmarva. Um, and like the outfield is interesting. I think that group is a guy who we've talked about. This trio of Stowers, Riser, and Watson kind of raised the floor. So, again, I want to see – Stowers has a huge power. Riser and Watson both have speed and defense. It can hit a little bit. I want to see, does at least one of these guys really step up and kind of take their place behind a Kerstad, McKenna, and Diaz in the rankings? Yeah, I want to touch on what you said about Hall because I, I know that for some reason people have seen down on Hall. And I, as I've said repeatedly, I think that it has to do with the fact you just didn't see him at all last year and other middle infielders have come in. But in terms of his speed, I don't know there's a lot of competition in the Orioles' farm system. I, I don't know there's a lot of better base runners. I don't know there's a lot of players in the minor leagues um, system right now that can match Adam Hall with his speed. So they're really he really does need to show that he can hit the ball hard enough to succeed at the higher levels. So I know that's a question with him. But at the same time, a guy that can handle both sides of the bag at second base competently with that speed and the fact that he's still only 21, um, to me, he's one of the better players on this roster for the position players, at least. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think it might be just because he doesn't, you know, he, you're not going to see the home run numbers when you're looking at the box score. He doesn't hit for much power. But if he can at least maybe get some doubles power in there, he could be a very poor man's Trey Turner, more of a second baseman maybe. But, he can hit a little bit for contact and he's got a decent eye plate plus his speed, like you said. So I, I'm not down on him at all. Yeah. I think one name I know you see a lot when they do like 
which prospect in each system is, is the fastest, most power, like highest tools in each system. Uh, like Mason Janvrin is a guy you see a lot that people uh, plug in for, for the Orioles when you're talking about speed. Uh, but I mean, Hall, McKenna has speed. Mullins has speed, but I don't, I think with those two guys, they never really were able to turn it into stolen bases, but like Adam Hall has like 50, 60 stolen bases in the last two seasons. And I pulled up his numbers here in Delmarva in 2019. He had a 133 WRC plus 33 stolen bases and he hit 298. And that was his real first full season of pro ball because he missed most of 2018. So, but yeah, like the ISO, that ISO power is like non-existent. It's, it's mostly singles. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of, hesitant when it comes to Adam Hall. Yeah, to your point about the stolen bases, uh, over his career, it's 186 games uh, since 2017. Uh, overall, he's had 70 stolen base attempts, only been caught 14 times. So 56 wow. career steals. It's a pretty good rate. It's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so Adam Hall is getting a lot of hype, but from us at least, but uh, I think most the most hype among the middle infield prospects in the system belongs in Delmarva, which is why I'm actually going to start with the position players there. Because the infield there, Gunnar Henderson, now a top 100 prospect according to Baseball America, and a player that all three of us are very high on, will be there. And he'll be joined by Daryl Hernandez, J.D. Mundy, Anthony Servideo, and Jordan Westberg um, in Delmarva. So if you listen to me rattle off those names, you just heard four shortstops mentioned and four pretty good ones. So it's going to be interesting to see how the shorebirds fit all of these bats into the lineup. But you have the consensus two best shortstop, best shortstop prospects in the system there in Henderson and Westberg. Um, long-term, there's questions about whether or not those guys will stick at the position. But they're there for now. Daryl Hernandez will be there at Anthony's for video. So we'll just start with this group here. Who does play shortstop? JD Mundy, baby. <laughs> More like JD Mundinez. <laughs> no, um, I think Gunnar Henderson will play short most nights. I think he'll get, I wouldn't say the ball, because I do think there's going to be pretty evenly split between all the infield positions for all those guys. I think one of them's going to have to DH every night, one of them's going to have to play second, one, one of them's going to have to play third. But I think Gunnar Henderson, you, I think you should do the guy with the most highest ceiling and who you have to figure out if he can stick at shortstop what better way to find out than to play him at shortstop so i do think gunner will get a little bit more than the rest but they'll all see their time there yeah i think it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching there because i mean the catchers is jordan cannon and ramon rodriguez who was a recent minor league signing from the dodgers like you're not putting one at catcher and one DH in there. JD Mundy would obviously be your DH. I mean, this guy, an undrafted free agent after the 2020 draft at a Radford, who I think our, Stephen Loftus, our BSL colleague, I pulled up his article where he did a breakdown of, of all the UDFA guys after the draft. And he had like 40 something percent of JD Mundy's at bats ended in a walk strikeout or home run. So, I mean, he is a, a real three true outcome guy. So that leaves like no one else to play first base. I mean, he's your first baseman. So it is, like I, I don't know. I think Gunnar Henderson does get shortstop, and maybe Westberg gets third base a lot. I think that might be a common. And then Hernandez and Servideo. I don't, I don't know. Splitting time at second base. I gotta, I'm sitting here looking at names, and I can't put it together. I don't know. It, it's hard to figure out. I mean, Servideo did have time in the outfield at college, so I suspect he will go out there a little bit. 
But he also had such good reports coming out of the draft last year about his defense. It would be a shame to not give him at least some time at shortstop. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I think Gunner will see time at third. They'll give him a little bit of time. So you'll get to see him test his arm over there. And, yeah, like Eric says, I think Hernias will play second base for the most part. Yeah, it, it's a good problem to have, though. And this is a lot of what we talk about building depth in the system. Um, you want to see the Orioles start to build up their infield depth. And right now at the lower levels of the minors, you're seeing it with this roster that's going to be at Aberdeen, or excuse me, in Delmarva. And not to mention, you have a guy like Kobe Mayo not starting your uh, full-season affiliate. So there's even more talent behind these names. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just go ahead, Nick. Sorry. I was just saying, I got scared. He was looking over the roster. Like, Where's Kobe Mayo? And I was like, oh, yeah, he's like 16 years old. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was just going to say, I'm excited for this team for the, the second half of the season when I'm assuming we'll start to see those international guys like Luis Gonzalez and, mm-hmm. and Louis Ortiz and those kind of guys show up. I think, you know, maybe they'll play some GCL for the most part, but you might see some guys like Steven Acevedo show up here. No, no birth Romero, the guys we got in the uh, Andrew Kashner trade. That's going to be exciting for me. Once you start seeing the Elias international guys make their way stateside. Yeah. Cause I don't looking at that outfield. I mean, it's Jason Encarnacion, who we were looking up before we came on. He's never played the outfield before in his minor league career. He's played third base, first base, and a little bit of shortstop when he was like 17 years old. So now they got him in the outfield. You got Hudson Haskin, who's a 2020 draft pick, which I'm anxious to see. And this is a guy – what was he – I'll try to look. I think it – never mind. Yeah, Hudson Haskin, yeah, second-round pick out of Tulane. There we go. Put my thoughts together. Like he's a second round, a second round pick out of Tulane in this 2020 draft. I think that's a bold move. So of course the Orioles must be super high on him. So that's gonna be fun to see. But then the other outfielders are Dylan Harris, who is an undrafted free agent out of UNC. Trevor Kehi, Kehi, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I apologize. Had to look him up. He was a 36 round draft pick last year, 2019 out of the Colorado School of the Mines. And then Dorian Turchin is is a guy I've, we've seen he's before been around, in my yeah. legs. Yeah, he's he's a veteran, but. Maybe those international guys will be up soon. And so these are a lot of these guys are just placeholders for right now. Yeah, hopefully Encarnacion has just been doing nothing but outfield drills since the end of the 2019 season. It's interesting because Encarnacion went from one of those guys who was really under a microscope because he came over from the Braves in that Kevin Gosman, Darren O'Day trade, which soon I'm just going to start calling the Bruce Zimmerman trade. Um, but yeah, he came over in that deal. And I think there were some expectations because he was having a good year in low A at the time um, that he would really take off. 2019, he struggled. So you want to see the bat come along, but I'm going to be curious to see how he looks in the outfield. And honestly, if he even gets much time out there. Uh, I'm wondering if they're not going to stick him at DH for a little bit, see if he can get the bat going and get him up to high A. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, and he, he had a ceiling. I mean, he was a raw prospect with the ceiling when we got him. So, you know, he, hopefully he can break out with the bat at least. Just to answer a question from feedback here, yes, uh, Gene Carmona did come over in the scope deal. Uh, Carmona was not on an opening day roster. Um, not a good sign. Not a good sign. Yeah, hopefully we'll hear something about him soon and hopefully see him on a roster. Uh, moving on over to the pitching staff in Delmar- Delmarva. 
It's not quite up to the level of some of the staffs that we've mentioned so far tonight, but there's still some pretty good arms in here. You have Zach Peak, who came over in the Dylan Bundy trade and is a guy we've talked about a lot on this show as someone we're excited to watch. Leonardo Rodriguez will be there as well. Adam Stauffer, who coming into 2020 was kind of a friend's top 30 guy, and I think was actually in the top 30 according to some outlets. Um, I believe we had him in there yeah, as this well. Then, right here. Yeah, um, we had him in our top 30 going into 2019, and then with the number of players that were brought into the system over 2020, he got bumped, but he's still going to be an intriguing name to watch this year and you know could conceivably work his way back in the top 30. Selton Perkins is another guy that I have my on, and I'm sure you uh, both do, Nick and Bob, to see what he does there. So overall, Delmarva has got some good arms, even if you don't have a D.L. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez starting there this year. Yeah, it's, it's a group. I think this is, could be where you see a lot of that piggybacking that Nick was talking about earlier. I mean, you have guys like Griffin McLarty, Ryan Conroy, Jensen Elliott, like a bunch of those 2019 guys, right? So, and they had some success at Aberdeen and even Del Marva a little bit in 2019. So, there's some, you know, potential upside there. But yeah, Leonardo Rodriguez should have a lot of success in Del Marva. I thought he'd be uh, in Aberdeen, but. He's not. Zach Peak could have been at Aberdeen. He's been showing some good stuff in the offseason, so be exciting to see him. And I'm oh I've been a big Adam Stoffer fan since I saw him pitch in Aberdeen personally. And yeah, it's not an exciting group, but there's there's definitely some interesting names to look out for. Yeah. I mean Rodriguez and Stoffer are also both like six seven, six eight. And, uh, so you got a lot of tall guys in this Delmarva pitching staff and Rodriguez is fun just because um, I mean, uh, Rodriguez is fun just because he has all the stuff and it looks like he can dominate the lower levels of minor leagues. But a lot of times it looks like he doesn't know where the ball is going once he, once he releases it. Uh, so if he puts that together, there's going to be a little bit something there, but I think the biggest group with this Delmarva rotation and pitching staff are the undrafted free agents that they're pretty much all here. Shane Davis, uh, another 757 Hampton Roads guy. So I'm going to root for him. Uh, Ryan Watson, Thomas Gerard was a guy that I know a lot of Orioles fans. He got some social media hype, uh, pitching ninja guy because out of Duke, because of his like slider is just disgusting. Uh, Brandon Young is another one of those really tall guys that they got after the draft out of Louisiana Monroe. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Zach Peek is going to be fun. Sheldon Perkins, of course, my guy, like I've watched it. I watched every single outing of his in college. Uh, just a dude on the mound for sure. Um, and Jake Prezina, Prezina, uh, apologies for that last name pronunciation as well. Uh, a local high school product that we've highlighted before, I think in the pitching preview episode, he's pitched two years at the GCL, didn't give up a home run. So it's, he's somebody to watch for sure. So it's, it's young with a whole lot of question marks. So if you're, if you're really into minor league baseball and you want to find some gems, Delmarva pitchers are where you go. Yeah, but this could be where someone really breaks through that we don't know about, you know, to the extent that they could show. So that's what I'm excited about to see. So now that we've run down the rosters, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, if you go at BSL on the Verge on Twitter, we do have the article that Steve Molesky put up over at Masson today that will give you the rosters of every four, every full season team, the Orioles farm system. So you can go check that out there, but we do want to take a few minutes to discuss some of the names that are now on the roster. Heston Kerstad is not on an opening day roster, which is not a surprise. Um, 
Kerstad is battling his way back from myocarditis and was in fact just medically cleared to report to the alternate site in Bowie a couple weeks ago. Um, as we mentioned on our show last week, Kerstad is expected to go to Sarasota and rehab and could be a couple months out from uh, appearing in game action, but hopefully he can make a good recovery and gets out there soon. The other big name is Michael Ballman, who a lot of people were expecting to be in Norfolk's rotation. He is not starting the year um, at any of the affiliates. And Molesky reported today that they're hoping to get or they're expecting to get more clarity on him at the beginning of next week. What's alarming about Ballman is that there were reports of him having elbow issues last year at the alternate site towards the end. All reports were that that was not a serious concern, and we have not heard anything to contradict that since then. So I don't want to speculate about his health, but still disappointing that Ballman's not going to be on the roster out of a gate. Hopefully, though, it's not a whole lot longer before we see him. I'm just wondering if if they're slow playing him a little bit, maybe they want to limit it, limit his innings just to ease him in from that injury last year, and maybe he starts a few weeks or a month behind everybody else just to kind of you know limit his innings, like I said. So hopefully that's what it is, and he didn't re-aggravate anything. Yeah, I mean, we all knew what cursed out situation was. That's obviously not nothing to worry about right now. Uh, but, yeah, the big thing is Bauman. I think that is a little bit shocking just because – you do have that arm injury with a young, exciting pitching prospect who, and they shut him down and yeah, we haven't heard anything bad since then, but, and we also haven't really seen him. I don't think he, did he make an appearance in spring training? I don't think he ever did. No. So, I mean, we haven't seen him since. And I mean, of course the Orioles have been so hush hush about everything over the last year. So uh, more so than other teams during, even during this COVID times. And so it's, I don't want to say I'm troubled that we haven't heard anything. I hope it is just taking it slow with him and he'll be in Bowie or Norfolk. It should be Norfolk. He'll be in Norfolk in a month or so, but I don't know. I'm going to wait and see there until we, we hear something more. There was that report of Brandon Hyde saying he was very impressed by Michael Bauman's bullpen sessions in the spring, but he never actually got into a game. And the mad behemoth is wondering if we should put Greg Collins' face on a milk carton because he's missing. Yeah, no updates that I have seen on Colin today about where he is. But um, Colin was certainly a name we had our eye on. He was one of the players that came along with A.J. Graffinino in that trade for Tom Malone between the Orioles and the Braves last year. They were both players to be named later, so the Orioles didn't acquire them until the offseason. But, yeah, there's been no updates on where Colin uh, is starting the year and when we could expect him at one of the full-season full affiliates. And he's I just wonder if it's – sorry, go ahead, Nick. My bad. I was going to say, I mean, he's not a top prospect, but still he's a guy who – I mean, his on-base percentage down the minor leagues is like pushing 400. Uh, and, and there have been some – if you look at look up some reports on him, I mean, they note his on-base ability is, is fantastic. So that is a guy – and he could play second base – as well. So that is a guy who maybe you'd like to have as a depth piece down the minor leagues. And so I don't be interesting to see where he's at. He's probably, maybe he's just hanging back in Sarasota for a little bit longer to get some, some more work in, but. You just never know what kind of shape these guys came into the minor league spring training as far as maybe not just like physical shape, but injuries. Maybe he has a nagging injury that's causing him to start a little bit late. You just never know. I don't think it's a case of him being cut or just not ready yet. I think it has to be injury related. As far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, hopefully we'll get some clarity on that between now and when the minor league season starts, because Colin was someone that we were uh, interested in watching for some of the reasons that Nick and Bob mentioned, primarily that on-base ability and the hope that maybe the Orioles could tap into his power a little bit, which is a theme we're going to hear a lot of this year with players like Tyler Nevin, uh, Maverick Hanley, who we talked about a little bit on our last show. But uh, hopefully it won't be a whole lot longer and we'll see Colin somewhere. Um so we're going to wrap up this discussion on the rosters, really just by focusing on overall on the team that excites us the most. Um, and I'll start with Bob. You you can pick one roster that if you just had to see one game this year, you would go watch that team. Or if you just have general thoughts about the rosters, you can uh, let the listeners know now. Hey, it's not just because it's the closest one to me and – I can go there basically whenever I feel like driving 20 minutes up the road, but it's Aberdeen for me. Just they don't have the, like Nick said, the sexy names, but uh, like Adley Rutschman and DL Hall, but they do have Grayson Rodriguez and they have a nice, well-rounded pitching staff and position uh, players. So I'll go with Aberdeen for sure. Another tough one. Uh, Let's see. I think, yeah, I mean, for my own personal reasons, well, first of all, as far as like players missing, also, there's no Ricky Ramirez on any of these rosters. The minor league rule phase, rule five pick out of Minnesota. And I just want to know where Ricky Ramirez is. That's all I'm saying. Um, no, but <laughs> he's, uh, for my own personal reasons, I would say Delmarva because of the pitching staff, just because like those guys excite me. Like, I really want to see what Shane Davis does. Like, call me weird, call me whatever. Like, I want to watch Shane Davis and Brandon Young and those guys pitch. And it's Zach Peake and Shelton Perkins are like 95% of the reason why if I, if I could go to Delmarva, but they're four and a half hours away. So I, I can't go to Delmarva every single day, uh, but I would be there. Um, but I think as far as like the future of the Baltimore Orioles goes and this major league roster, I'm paying most close, most close attention to Bowie. I think uh, just because I want to see does deal hall limit those walks. Can Brendan Hennefy take those improved secondaries we've heard so much about and turn things around what is Kyle Bradish? Uh, what does he bring to the table? Uh, even guys like Nick Vespi and Kevin Smith, do one or both of those guys show up at the back end of that rotation? And then on the offensive side, it's Taron Vavra. I want to see what kind of what kind of player this guy is because so many people that I think all of us respect very much in the industry are pretty high on him. So I want to see, is he as good as advertised or even better? Yeah, I agree. I think that both of those rosters are going to be good to watch. For me, it's Delmarva. I just look at this infield, and I'm you know I'm fascinated by it because there's so much talent there, and you just have all of these shortstops. And even if all of them don't project at shortstop long term, that still indicates some athleticism. When you look at guys like Daryl Hernandez, Gunnar Henderson, Anthony Servideo, and Jordan Westberg, so to see how they're going to fit them into the lineup each night and move them around is going to be interesting to watch. Not to mention that. We're going to get to answer some of the questions we've had for a while now. Can Jordan Westbrook tap into that raw power and maybe bring down the strikeouts a little bit? How good is Gunnar Henderson? Is that bad as advanced as we keep hearing? Um, were Anthony Servideo's improvements at the plate last college season, which was shortened for real. And is this a guy that teams are going to look back on the draft a few years from now and think the Orioles got a steal picking him up where they did? So there's a lot that we're going to learn, and not to mention Hernandez, a younger guy who draws rave reviews from people in the industry we respect, including Eric Longenhagen. So I'm really curious to watch this roster, but I also do think that Norfolk's going to be worth keeping a close eye on, and not just because those players are next in line for when something does happen at the major league level, 
but you have real talent there. You have Yusniel Diaz there. You have Ryan McKenna, who I will say I thought looked decent in his time in the major leagues this year, and now he's going to get the opportunity to do what I think the Orioles need to let him do, which is lead off and play center field every day. Um, and Jemai Jones, you know, I liked a little bit I saw of him in spring training. The numbers we're seeing out of the alternate site are really good, and there's a big hole at second base in the major leagues right now. And if Jemai Jones looks good with the glove and he's hitting the ball well, he may very well fill that hole sometime here in the next few weeks or months. And then not to mention, you've got Ryland Bannon there. You've got Tyler Nevin. That's a pretty good roster, and it'll get even better when Adley Rutzman's there. It's here. It's real. It's happening. All four are interesting, you know. There's not like a dud in the bunch, so I'm going to be checking all them box scores every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, we'll have our coverage here all season long on On the Verge, covering the minor league season. And we will be back next Wednesday uh, with our next new episode. In the meantime, you can Twitter to continue to follow us on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. Continue to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest articles on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and some professional soccer as well. Be sure to join the message board there. And, Nick, we still have our contest running, correct? Yeah, we got about 80 entries, I think, for a free ticket giveaway. So whichever roster you found most exciting, uh, you can go watch them for free. I'll pick a winner later tonight because emergency podcast delayed that. But we'll pick a winner tonight and we'll get uh, somebody, some hook them up some free tickets. Yeah, be sure to keep an eye on that. Um, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sped, and you've been listening to On the Birds. And great 